When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. 6.30 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 6.30 Chad. He'll hit Corey Watson with it. He'll sidestep one tackler and gets to the 20. Corey Watson inside the 10. Touchdown, Eskimo. Edmonton's home for breaking news on your favorite teams. This is Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on the voice of your Edmonton Oilers and Eskimos. 630 Chad. Hey, it's game night. Oilers starting a three-game road trip against the Los Angeles Kings. The face-off show starts in an hour. The game is at 8.30. Remember the last time they played? Ouch. Three power play goals for Los Angeles on that five-minute major to Patrick Maroon. Early in the third period, they went on to beat the Oilers 5-0 at Rogers Place on January 2nd. The Oilers looking better lately, 5-1-1 in their last seven. And remember, 10-2 against the Pacific Division. Only that loss to L.A. and an early season loss to Vancouver inside their own division. So that's coming up later on tonight. It is 6.08. My name is Reed Wilkins. we got an hour of inside sports here before the face-off show. Thanks a lot for tuning in. Light night in the NHL. Just two other games. The Predators and Maple Leafs. Four minutes left in the first period. No one has scored. Bruins and Rangers about to face off. Hey, how about this? The Olympics are underway. Haven't had the opening ceremonies yet. But the mixed doubles curling new event has started. Canada represented by John Morris and Caitlin Laws. Just two players on a team. They throw five rocks per end and they start with the the end start. Uh, Each end starts with each team having a rock in play. One team, uh, a center guard, another team with a rock at the back of the forefoot. They play eight end games. It's in the sixth, Canada leading Norway 6-4, but Norway does have the hammer in this end. So there you go, your first Olympic score update of the 2018 games. Former NHL goaltender Kelly Rudy, now an analyst with the NHL on Rogers, joins us every week here on Inside Sports. We have a lot to talk about. Kelly, welcome back to the show. How are you doing? I'm fantastic, Reed. I'm in uh, New Jersey right now at the Calgary Flames, so getting ready for a game tomorrow and then uh, New York City on Friday night. Uh, wh- what's the saying? There's nothing like New Jersey in February? Would it be possible if you came <laughs> That's very, very funny, my friend. I'm not going to comment. All right, we'll, we'll, just, uh, we'll just leave that one there. The Oilers got a game coming up tonight, Kelly. People still, still talking about the last game, though, from a couple of nights ago. I mean, just one of those performances from Big David that was—I called it supernatural after the game on the on the postgame show. It was it was a thrill to watch. It it had the entire country, the entire NHL talking, and, and I mean, just just an incredible performance by the Oilers captain. Agreed, but it doesn't surprise me anymore when uh, when he does something like that. I, I kind of like just sort of nod my head and go, "Yep, that's that's exactly how he can play." 
uh, from time to time. He's that good. And so it's like when uh, Lemieux or Gretzky or Messier or somebody, Eiserman, did something like that, you just sort of expected it. It was, it was fun to watch and be a part of, but you know what? You just sort of go, that's one of those nights where everything was coming together. He was there physically and mentally and just feeling it. And, and I think part of it, too, Reed, I was kind of thinking about this, is that when Kucherov was coming to town, I think that sort of gets him going, too. It, you know, he's leading the league in points, and all those guys have so much pride that they want to show that, yeah, you know what, don't forget about me kind of thing. His third goal for the hat trick was spectacular because you saw his speed and the way he pulled away from Sergachev. But that second goal from the angle that he lifted it over Vasilevsky's shoulder, and that's one of those shots, Rob, where sometimes you see a guy try it and it goes five feet over the net, and you're thinking, why would he even do that? But with McDavid, and I mean, Rob and I get questions after games, well, should he should he, uh, should he he pass more? Yeah. Or like, should he shoot more? Did he try a low percentage play? But I mean, you've been around offensive players and had to defend them as a goal tender when you're an elite offensive player i don't think they ever think there's a low percentage play right like they, they always think they can make it so in their mind it's it's the perfect play of that moment well for one thing i don't know if uh, great players uh um can shoot enough i've always thought that you've got to shoot all the time keep the goalie honest and typically, oftentimes, goal scorers, uh, the real natural ones like Ovechkin and, and Kessel, over time they get a better feel for the game and so they become better playmakers, so they're they're uh, doubly dangerous in that sense. And yeah, the shot has always been their, their thing, but now they're able to pass. So I, I would still like to see uh, McDavid shoot a lot more. Uh, the other thing that always comes to mind is that the game has changed so dramatically in the sense that the guys are more accurate than ever. So I would say back in my day, there were, I don't know, three, four really accurate guys in every team. And to me, the game has just evolved so much that it seems to me most guys are dangerous at any angle now. And guys try shots that they never used to. I, I'm thinking of some of the goals that I watched last night in the highlights and stuff. And man, there's some from some crazy angles, but the shots are absolutely just perfect. So for me, when a guy like David does something like that, I would like to see him do it more often, try it more often, simply because the accuracy is there. Kelly Rudy joining us on Inside Sports. Oilers and Kings coming up later on tonight here on, on 6.30 Chat. Obviously, Kelly, some of your uh, greatest success was with the Los Angeles Kings. You got to play with Gretzky. You guys went to the Stanley Cup Final in uh, in 1993. We, we've talked a lot about you know that section of your career when you played with the Islanders and the profound impact that Al Arbor had on you when he was your head coach. You went to Los Angeles. Obviously, it was a different type of market at the time, and, and your coach, you know, through that cup final year and, and some really good years in LA was Barry Melrose who to me you know thinking back at the time he would have been new school and, and to me Al Arbor would have been whole, old school but you know you actually had him as your coach what was uh, what was Melrose like was there a different uh, was he maybe different behind the scenes than sort of that presentation we saw publicly and on the bench yeah he was and you know it's interesting you do talk about the presentation though because that was I, to me, that was some kind of factor. Here we are, the LA Kings. At the time, we weren't the best team, but we were certainly one of the most popular teams in the entire world with Gretzky there and, and Bruce McDonald's the owner and all the Hollywood stars around and all the uh, fans there. And I do think that 
the way in which Barry presented himself had something to do with his hiring. He was now, don't get me wrong, he had just won a Memorial Cup and a Calder Cup, so there's quite the pedigree coming up through the uh, the juniors and the minors. So he was an accomplished coach in that sense, but he also had that look. Like he, <clears throat> he wore great suits, he had the long hair with the mullet, and he was a good looking guy, very charismatic. But when you really got to him, or got to know him, you really knew there was a lot more depth. I remember we got off to a great start. And uh, that's even that's the first year when Gretzky really had all that back stuff and all kinds of different things. And Sports Illustrated wrote an article about us, but more specifically about Barry and, like you said, the new age coaching and so on. But it was interesting because we went on a road trip, and I think the first game was in uh, Calgary, and we didn't play very well. And he came into the dressing room after, and he goes, okay, this is the first night you guys have challenged me, and I'm not going to accept it. I'm not going to accept that kind of work ethic. And it was very much like an Al Arbor kind of speech, like, okay, you're challenging me, you're testing me, uh, you embarrassed me tonight, and we had a heck of a practice the next day in Calgary. Before Before we flew to Winnipeg, we won the next night in Winnipeg, but I thought, okay, that's a way to grab our attention. You've got to do certain things that make players think, and that night Barry did uh, just that in Calgary. Didn't you guys have uh, Anthony Robbins around the team, the motivational guy, that year too? Well, well, that was because of me, because oh. I had struggled so mightily in uh, late November. Well, it started in December, but my mind kind of went crazy, uh, and I had an episode in, uh, in around that time, and I lost all confidence, and I thought my career was com- coming to a quick end. And so Barry recognized in uh, January that I was like really dire straits and, and uh, I, I wasn't going to make my way out of it uh, myself. So he in- introduced me to Tony Robbins and that's how Tony got involved with our team. So I was lucky. In fact, I'm one of the luckiest guys on the planet. I was able to work one-on-one with Tony for a number of different sessions. And uh, so he really improved my life, changed my uh, career. And uh, so I'm ever grateful to uh, uh, Barry for introducing me to Tony. But then Tony tried to work that year and then the next year. And uh, I, I really think that if you've never had a chance to go to one of his seminars or something, you're really missing out. He's the real deal. I, I think I might, may have told you this on one of your other shows, Reed, but there's a, uh, a Netflix show on Tony Robbins. And it's it's uh, I'm Not Your Guru. It's really powerful. You should watch it. It's well worth the time. Well, you know, you've, you've talked about your struggles that year, but I, I didn't realize that, that uh, the impetus for bringing Robbins in was, was specifically because of you. That, that's, that's pretty cool. So, obviously, that was a big turnaround. Kelly Rudy joining us inside sports yeah. with uh, Hockey Night in Canada, the NHL on Rogers, former NHL goaltender, joins us every week. Hey, you know, there was a bit of a minor uh, kerfuffle here in Edmonton last week, and I didn't talk about it a lot because I, I think the media should tell stories, not be the story. Um, but... Al Montoya uh, didn't do a pregame interview when he started last week, but an interview after the morning skate. He says, I, you know, he just said, I don't, I don't talk on game days. I guess some goalies do that. I don't think there's ever been a goaltender here in Edmonton that has done it. I, I mean, my attitude is, as, as someone who interviews people for a living, I always want people to talk. But if he's not going to do it, fine, yeah. as long as he's available post-game. Um, is this is is this a, a valid thing, though, as part of a goalie's preparation? Or how do you look at it? And you've been on both sides of it. You've been the goaltender and you've been in the media. 
Uh, you know, I see it uh, beyond the goaltender's preparation. For instance, uh, Paul Career never spoke uh, game day. So if, if that's what a skater or a goalie needs, uh, then I'm all for it. I have no problem uh, when guys don't talk because, you know, their number one job is to play well. It's not to appease us or give us a story. So uh, I've never had any problem uh, with guys. And I've had a number of goaltenders tell me that. I've had Paul. I've had a, a couple of other guys say, I can't do it right now or I don't have the time or something like that. I have no issue with that. Um, myself, I did talk on game day, and I'd even do pre-tapes. To, because my feeling was, and it's just for me, this is how I would prepare. I used to tell myself that if I get to the rink in the afternoon uh, for the game and uh, the local TV crew, uh, Bob Miller, Jimmy Fox, whomever, they asked me to do a pre-tape. I'm like, yeah, sure. If I'm so poorly prepared that I can't talk to the, uh, the TV crew two and a half hours or two hours and 15 minutes before the game, then I've got bigger problems. So I haven't done my work in the afternoon to get prepared properly. So, but I also really, really do understand an athlete that just doesn't want to talk on game day. Uh, you know, we all see things a little bit differently. And if Montoya feels uh, that he just, he, he needs to dig in a little bit more and can't be distracted, I'm cool with that. Fair enough. I, I guess for me too, and I mean you'd probably agree. As, as long as you're there after the game, right? Win or win or lose, the goalie or whoever should be same. there after the game. Yeah. I, I, I had yeah same. I had a goalie uh, that I don't know very well that I went up to. Uh, it was last year, in fact. I won't share which goalie. It doesn't matter. But I went up to him in the morning skate after, and I asked him if I could chat with him for a little bit, and he was very kind. He said no. In fact, you know what? Because when you come back here after the game, I'll chat with you as long as you want but I just don't like to do it in the morning. And I was like, okay, great. I understand. Yeah. All right, Kelly, going to be fun tonight. Oilers and Kings, thanks a lot for checking in. We'll do this again next week. Great stuff, man. You got it. Thanks, Reed. See you, bud. Always good to hear from Kelly. Rudy joins us every week inside sports on 630. Chad, Oilers, Kings coming up. A little bit later on, Furnace Family Oilers Hockey, Edmonton's Furnace Replacement Experts. Call 7804-FAMILY or visit FurnaceFamily.com. we got a 7 o'clock face-off show, 8.30 puck drop. It's a late one tonight. A lot of fun coming up in the next half hour. Greg Pilling and Bob Falkenberg are going to join us. The Memorial Cup celebrating its 100th anniversary, and it's going to be in Edmonton. Actually, a festivity starting tomorrow, and then a ceremony at the Oil Kings game on Saturday. So Greg and Bob, two uh, original Oil Kings, as they're now referred to, uh, and of course, uh, members of the Memorial Cup champion teams in the 1960s. That'll be fun. Inside Sports on Chad. We're coming right back. This is Mike Riley from your Edmonton Eskimos, and you're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on 630 Chet. All right, so we got uh, Alex Burroughs from the Ottawa Senators. He has been suspended 10 games for that knee against New Jersey's Taylor Hall. Uh, you probably have seen the video. If not, you can give it a Google, and they were going at it. Scrum uh, broke out. Burroughs made sure he went after Hall, and as they were tangled up on the ice, uh, he drove his knee down uh, onto Hall's head. So big suspension, 10 games for Taylor Hall. I know a lot of you, a lot, a lot of times when there is an incident, uh, I won't speak for everybody, but I know I hear from a lot of fans who often wonder, why'd that guy get off so easy? Should have he got more? Especially when it's uh, 
an unusual incident that, that's not a body check or, or something that happens in the flow of the game. But Burroughs gets 10 games for uh, the knee to the head of Taylor Hall. So that's the developing news tonight. NHL action. Maple Leafs lead the Predators 1-0 after the first. James Van Riemsdyk has his... 21st goal of the season. Bruins and Rangers 1-1, eight minutes in. We got R. Nash scoring both both goals. Riley Nash for the Bruins. Rick Nash for the Rangers. They're eight minutes into the game. Oilers and Kings coming up tonight. 8.30 faceoff here on 6.30 Chet. The Oilers update for Nisku Ford. Every model on sale every day. Nisku Ford above expectations. The next half hour of the show will be a fun one. Greg Pilling, he's in studio. He's raring to go. He brought his memorial cup rings. Maybe there's a story behind those. You used to, he got rings not just for winning memorial cup, but for losing memorial cup. My issue is, Greg, and maybe you'll tell the story. To me, they look exactly the same. So we'll talk about that in the next half hour. Bob Falkenberg from the 1960s editions of the Edmonton Oil Kings will check in as well. Inside Sports on Oilers and Eskimos Radio 630 Chat. We're coming right back. This is Mark Letestu from your Edmonton Oilers, and you're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Oilers Radio 630 Chat. Mark Letestu and the Oilers getting ready to go in Los Angeles. We're two hours away from dropping the puck. We have the face-off show coming up at 7 here on 630 Chet. Thanks so much for tuning in tonight. want to uh, mention what's going on here with the Edmonton Oil Kings. They are playing tonight, so we'll update that game at Medicine Hat once it gets going. Now, this is obviously a big year in junior hockey. It's the centennial for the Memorial Cup. Tomorrow at 10, the Memorial Cup is uh, going to be at the Edmonton Garrison along with Oil Kings head coach Steve Hamilton and his dad Al Hamilton who won the Memorial Cup as a player with the Oil Kings in 1966 and Steve won it as an assistant coach with the Oil Kings in 2014 and then on Saturday we got a 1:30 game at Rogers Place with the Oil Kings hosting Red Deer the Memorial Cup will be there for a pregame ceremony it'll be set up on the concourse after that so if you're at that game you can get uh, photos uh, taken with it until the second intermission so a big uh, cross Canada tour for the Memorial Cup and then the tournament in Regina in uh, in May. So that's all, all what's going on. So we thought, well, gee, do we know anybody who ever won the Memorial Cup? So we, we found a couple guys. Uh, Greg Pilling is in studio, member of the, you know, you were on the 63 Memorial Cup championship team, Greg? Edmonton's first ever. Here, let's move this a little bit there so we can hear you better. Uh, all right, Edmonton's first ever, so we're proud to have you in studio. Now, the other guy, I don't know if he doesn't make public appearances or if he was, you know, a little intimidated to be in studio with us, Greg. Falky's got a very but, but, attractive <laughs> wife. I'm sure I'm sure he's uh, staying at home holding hands with Barb. Uh, hi, Bob. How are you? I'm great. I, I, I must apologize. I don't check my computer, so I missed your email, or I probably could have made it, but uh, unfortunately uh, for myself, uh, I I can't be there alive, but uh, we're on the cell phone, and it's uh, nice to be invited to do these things. Yeah, it's great to talk to you. Bob Falkenberg on the phone. So two guys, part of the, I I guess we now call them the original uh, Edmonton Oil Kings, since we got another incarnation uh, of the team right now. Uh, Bob, so you got the two Memorial Cups, right? You got 63 and 66? Yes, I was very fortunate to uh, come here uh, as a young uh, 16-year-old with uh, and and play on that first Memorial Cup team. Uh, the the Oil Kings had gone a couple of years before that, 
And uh, that was the first, as Greg said, the first ever Memorial Cup in Edmonton, and it was uh, it was quite a thrill. And and, the, and Edmonton, as it does for everything, uh, really supported us and uh, and loved us uh, as much as they could. Well, Greg, where were you where were you playing your games in in the '60s, and what was the what was the fan support and the mania like around the team? Well, we played uh, for the first uh, two years that I was here. We shared the Edmonton Gardens with the Edmonton Flyers of the then uh, Pro Western Hockey League. So uh, the Gardens was on, you know, on on uh, uh, the, the fairground site of Edmonton. Back then, it was the Edmonton Exhibition Association, which became Edmonton Northlands. But uh, yeah, we played in the Gardens. Uh, what were the crowds like? Well. Um, when you're a kid coming out of Lethbridge and and the rink there seats 1800 or whatever the heck it is when and when you come to the gardens and and I think the rink was 212 feet long by uh, 85 feet wide um, everything was bigger here our crowds on a Sunday afternoon um, Falky, I think capacity was what sixty five hundred or something in the in the gardens, and and we we'd come close to that uh, probably three times in, in a year. Other than that, I would say we probably were hovering around maybe a two thousand mark. Right, Does that sound fair? Yeah, no, we we had uh, great crowds, and of course when the junior playoffs, we played an old senior league, Central Alberta League, and. Uh, when the junior playoffs started in the spring, of course, we drew uh, capacity. And I think yeah. the Gardens was about 7,500 uh, with that that uh, north end or south end was all the way up to the roof. And, yeah. Uh, it was... Uh, <laughs> Zed, Zed, I remember that. <laughs> it, was, yeah. it was quite a... Well, it was quite a thrill, yeah. It was a big deal to, to play there, and uh, that was big league hockey back then. Such a different path to the Memorial Cup w- when you guys were playing, because as, as as you mentioned, the Western Hockey League was not the Western Hockey League as, as we know it. So, we're, uh, Bob, I'll start with you. You guys were playing against, what would it be, uh, like senior AAA teams, we would call them now, like the teams that would go after the Allen Cup? That, yeah, was, your, exactly. that was your league? That was, uh, and we had uh, the AAA intermediate uh, team came out of that league also. So it was the top amateur hockey in uh, in Alberta at that time and uh, we played uh, 32 game schedule and in that league and the playoffs and uh, it was a, it was a, a growing up period for young guys and uh, that 63 team of course had uh, Pat Quinn and when he came out uh, west here I mean Pat was about 62 and what are you, 210 maybe at that time and yeah. and uh, my god he was a big man I mean you didn't see big guys like that uh, back in th- those days yeah. a, a big hockey player back then was well Gordy Howe was, was well probably foot. the two biggest guys on our team would have been Pat and uh, and uh, Baby Huey Bert Marshall on defense yeah yeah, yeah. That was, and, and you know they're not like the big guys today that no. are six foot six and skate like the wind. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> well, that must have been different for you guys, though, Greg, because so you guys are all like 16, 17, 18, 19, and you could be playing against, 
you know, 25, 28, 30 year olds in, in your league. So it must have been a totally uh, like you're thrown in there against older guys, more experienced guys. If the NHL had 30 teams back then, they might have been played in, in the NHL. So that was the grind you guys had to put up with uh, before you even worried about trying to qualify for the Memorial Cup. Well, the, the Central Alberta Hockey League uh, it, it changed its name after a while to the Alberta Senior Hockey League, but uh, it had guys that were fresh out of pro hockey, uh, guys like Rich Healy that uh, uh, could have continued on a, as a pro hockey player, uh, said no thanks, and uh, he, he started his uh, life after hockey back home here and, and played defense for uh, uh, the Lacombe Rockets. Uh, Ed Zemro played for the Lacombe Rockets. Johnny Young, who this Johnny still plays. This is the first year that he that he hasn't played, and I think Johnny's 83 now, something like that. But uh, Tony Coleman out of uh, out of Drumheller, uh, Donnie Rehill out of Red Deer. There, uh, I mean, there were there were some good hockey players and, and some savvy hockey players, and it was a great proving ground for for young kids like uh, Falky is saying. He, you know, we, we came to the big city and uh, we were playing in the big rink and we're we're playing against a lot of big guys too. So it was it was a dynamite proving ground. All right. So this was the, this was the 1960s, and the one thing everybody says, you know, the previous era of hockey. Well, it was it was tougher. More guys on the team could fight. All that kind of stuff. How tough were you guys? Like, how wild could the games be, especially once you got into those junior playoffs to try to make the Memorial Cup? I mean, is there there must be several stories here about uh, about trying to establish uh, some dominance on the ice, shall we say, Bob? Well, I mean, there was there was uh, lots of incidents, and, and uh, of course, there was a little more fighting back then than there is today's hockey. Uh, just by the nature of the game, uh, and and I mean there was there was a little more uh, body checking because uh, I mean you could you you could catch guys with a body check because they weren't going as fast as they are today, and uh, guys guys didn't you know guys could skate, but they certainly all didn't skate like they do today. So it was uh, it was a tough game, and uh, you know people got hurt. And not unlike today. I mean, uh, back then um, we didn't wear helmets and stuff like that, which, which is uh, a sad statement of times back then. But uh, things have changed. Equipment's got better and it's got faster, and it's a different game today. But it was it was a tough game. Uh, uh, there's no doubt about it. If I were a junior hockey player today, I would wear a helmet. Uh, that's another evolution of the game. Um, we used to call the guys water asses that uh, that wore helmets back in those days. There were there was only a uh, very few of them. Uh, we had a couple on our team, and you, you didn't say it to their face because Bourbonnet was one of them, and he was a great hockey player. But uh, back in those days, there were no very very few rinks had glass around them. They had mesh. Right. So when you when you were uh, taken into the boards or you took a guy into the boards, there was some give with the mesh. But uh, you know when you went into a place like Drumheller, you kind of checked around to see if there was any any stray wires that were hanging out. You you might get poked with them. But I, I would wear a helmet today with uh, with all the speed 
and all the glass in the rinks. Greg, during the Greg Pillings in studio, Bob Falkenberg's on the phone. Two members of the Edmonton Oil Kings teams from the 1960s as we get some uh, Memorial Cup memories, the Memorial Cup in Edmonton over the next few days here as part of its 100th anniversary celebrations. Greg, I was watching the uh, Alex Burroughs video during the commercial and talking about his 10-game suspension, and you said, well, the game was better when the, when the players policed themselves. Uh, but still a lot of stuff happened, though, too, when you guys were playing. Yeah, I uh, I don't like. I, I guess I'm a typical fan. Maybe I'm atypical, but um, I don't believe that you can fix the game by uh, by fining the players uh, and suspending them. Uh, I believe that, uh, and I didn't see the 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 hit on uh, Taylor Hall, but you can you can rest assured um, if he did him a dirty that uh, there would be somebody else uh, evening the score up um, when it was a, a, a game in, that wasn't in question, a 5-1 game. Uh, they have large numbers on their backs, all of the players. And that's not for the fans back in the 60s. That was so the players could remember uh, who you owed something to. But it's different now. Bob, what do you think? Oh, it's, it's it's totally different now, and and uh, and for the better, I think. They uh, uh, it certainly doesn't eliminate it, but it is it's helped. Uh, uh, I mean, stuff that uh, was. <laughs> I mean, things that were legal back when we played are not even considered today, and yeah. you get suspended for it today. So, yeah. uh, you know, some of the hits and low checks and that kind of stuff that was part of the game back then uh, is not part of the game anymore and I think that's for the better and uh, uh, you know the, the, as far as uh, you know the, the the fighting and the policing of, of players that, that worked in, in back in the day and certainly uh, uh, it, 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 ha- it, it, it did have its place in the game but I think they've legislated uh, by changing the rules and that they've they've taken that part of the game away from from the players and certainly from the fans uh, you know there's fans out there that enjoy you know the, the fighting and, and stuff like that and it, with with the way the game's played today uh, it's kind of uh, a lost part of it so uh, uh, but back in the day when we're talking about 60s, it was it was all there, and uh, <laughs> like I said, there was things that that were uh, checking and and things that were done back then, and the way it was played, it was legal to do it. Yeah. And today, uh, you, you can't do it, play that way, and you get suspended for it. Bob, I want I want to get you one more, and then I'll stick with Greg since we got him in studio here. Uh, the the 66 Memorial Cup team, you guys beat Oshawa to win. We saw Connor McDavid's brilliant display of speed and puck handling the other night. You had to shut down a player who, even though uh, he was playing defense, you know, was known for his speed and his puck handling and his playmaking goalie. What was it like playing against Bobby Orr in that series? Well, Bobby Orr came high. The, uh, he had the reputation that Connor McDavid had in junior. And, and one of our players, Al Hamilton, was was second if not equal to Bobby Orr but uh, Bobby Orr uh, is probably one of the best hockey players that have ever played this game and uh, the first 
uh, shift, and Bobby was playing that year with that. He, he had already had started his knee injury, so he wasn't at full health. But just starting out the first shift of the uh, uh, first period of the uh, first shift of the first game, Bobby uh, hauled the puck out of his own end, got up to our blue line, took a slap shot, hit the crossbar, and uh, that was the start of it. And and he was everything as advertised and. Uh, a great player, and uh, but uh, we had a, a very good skating and a very good hockey team, and uh, uh, I think uh, we had more uh, uh, more depth than they had, and 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 we won that series, and it was a great uh, great feather in our cap to uh, win the Memorial Cup in the East, which hadn't been done by a Western team for a long time either. So, Well, that's a good point. It was a best of seven, and you had to go out there and play all, all seven games against against the Eastern team. Yeah, so that was no easy trek for sure. Bob, thanks for checking in tonight. We really appreciate you sharing some uh, memories, and I hope we can do this again soon. Really appreciate it. Well, I appreciate you having me on there. Thank you. That's Bob Falkenberg on the phone. We're in studio with Greg Pilling as we uh, mark the Memorial Cup coming to Edmonton as part of its 100th anniversary celebrations. Greg's going to stick around because I want to get the stories of the championship rings and also the runner-up rings because I couldn't tell the difference. I I would think I would be able to, but uh, Greg's going to tell us why that is when we get back. Inside Sports on Jet. Hi, this is Ryan Nugent Hopkins from your Edmonton Oilers. You're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Oilers Radio 630 Chad. You ask me to be your savior. But I'm a poster boy for bad behavior. Greg Tillig is in studio. My name is Reed Wilkins. We just had Bob Falkenberg on the show. We're getting some uh, memories about the uh, Memorial Cups of the 1960s. The Oil Kings lost the Memorial Cup final in 60, 61, 62, 64, 65, and 71. Won it in 63 and 66. So a dominant team coming out of the West in that era. Greg, uh, okay, so here's the thing. So Greg comes in today and he's like, Reed, I brought the rings here. And I was like, okay, so why do you have three rings? And he goes, well, we used to get a ring for being the runner-up. And then I said, Greg, they're all like they all look the same. Shouldn't the winning ring be different? So what's what's the story here? Well, the the first time that I uh, uh, went to the Memorial Cup with uh, the Oil Kings was was in 1961-62, and we lost. Uh, that was quite a series because it was uh, both teams were farm teams of the Detroit Red Wings. Oh, nice. Okay. So Detroit had all their all their juniors in in the Memorial Cup, but Niagara beat us in, uh, I believe it was uh, five games, maybe six, five games, I think it was, and uh, for winning the Memorial Cup. They got a, a silver ring with a, with a red stone okay. and uh, a, a memorial cup on it, and the the runners up the 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 um, uh, what do they call us the finalists the finalists sure yeah the finalists we got the identical ring with a black stone okay so the next year when we won it uh, the CAHA gave us the identical ring. Except it was engraved finalist underneath it. Inside, so people can't, you have to take it off to see it. And uh, the team that we beat, which was Niagara Falls, they got the identical ring that Hamilton got the year before. So 
The loser. So you didn't get the red stone the year you won? No, no. We didn't get it the year we won. We didn't get it the year we lost. Then the next year, when we lost in uh, in Toronto, in uh, I think they beat us in, in straight games. But uh, we got another black ring. The only thing is, it, it the Memorial Cup ring was kind of squared off. The other two rings had a had an oval shape to them. And and uh, I would like to know uh, who negotiated uh, on the CAHA's behalf to get these rings from Cracker Jack because it looks like that's where they got them. I put a picture on my Twitter account if if you follow that at Reed Wilkins and they're. I mean, you see, especially some of the Super Bowl rings nowadays, like I, I could wear those as a watch. Yeah. They're, they're so big. These aren't quite that gaudy, are they? No, no. <laughs> but I got to say it, they're the real McCoy, and 55 later years later, I've still got mine. Yeah, you still wear them. They're in good yeah. shape for sure. Uh, do you want to stick around with uh, Stoffer in a few minutes, or do you have to go? No, that's fine. Sure. Yeah, we can bring you on the start of the face-off show because I don't think you're done telling stories, and Bob would love to talk to you. <laughs> we can cross over into the next show. Some guests on Inside Sports get gift certificates to Northern Chicken. You can book the Rumpus Room for up to 12 of your closest friends and dig in for a family-style picnic at NorthChickenYEG.com. NHL tonight, we have a 2 nothing lead for the Maple Leafs over the Predators. That is halfway through the game. And the Bruins now lead the Rangers 2-1 after the first period. Zdeno Chara with his fifth of the season, the go-ahead goal there. Oilers and Kings at 8.30 will morph into the face-off show after the 7 o'clock news. Bob Stoffer will check in from Staples Center. You'll hear uh, a little bit from Jarrett Stoll, Oscar Clefbaum, Mike Camilleri will reflect on McDavid's amazing four-goal, five-point night against Tampa Bay. Can the Oilers keep it going on the power play? They got two power play goals last game after having three in their previous 19. Kellen Kennedy is the studio producer. Dave Campbell, the producer of Inside Sports. Face-off show coming up right after the 7 o'clock news. I'm Reed Wilkins. Six thirty, Chad. Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins, weekdays at six on Six Thirty, Chad.